1: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for That's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track.
2: Oh! Abinelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abinelli spots out. Emerson! Welcome back to the Borough Breakdown Podcast with Johnny, Dana and Tom. We are the Borough Podcast that gives you all of your Borough matchday chatter in a podcast. And this week, we'll chat about the two games this week against QPR and Derby with an opposition view from Ryan Dilks from the second tier podcast. Middlesbrough's transfer strategy with Dom Shaw from the Gazette. We'll answer your podcast questions and we'll speak to Ollie from Rovers Chat about Borough's game against Tony Mowbray's Blackburn Rovers. But starting off, guys, on Wednesday night, Borough lost 3-2 to 10-man QPR. Goals from Uchik Piazu and Matt Crooks weren't enough for Borough as they suffered the first defeat of the season. Guys, there was five goals, a penalty, a red card, a headbutt, the game had it all. Uh, But Dana, was it a game which showed how to manage a game out and how not to manage a game out?
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly that, Johnny. And I think as well, it really exposed Borough's man-marking because there were signs of it during the Fulham game where Fabio Carvalho's off the ball movement was effectively pulling players out of position but thankfully in that game the recovery runs were good and I thought defensively in terms of getting back and blocking and intercepting we were pretty decent at that but during the game against um, QPR I mean the second half was a complete mess wasn't it It was. I sat there at half time and I was a little bit worried because we were only a goal up and obviously the quality that QPR possessed it was never going to stay that way Um, and I was thinking, right, we need to get this early second-half goal, and then, of course, they got it. But there seems to be, and what I've noticed this season, is a bit of a window of opportunity at the other side of half-time where Borough had just slack, and QPR scored from it, I think it was the 47th or 48th minute they scored. And, I mean, during that phase of play when Housen scored that one goal, it was actually, it came from his loose ball wasn't it really I mean he, he tried a, a no-look pass which was just ridiculous it goes straight to QPR and then he tries to recover it and then ends up putting the ball in his own net but that's it I think there's a there is a window of opportunity there where Borough just don't really step out in the second half with the same intensity as they do in the first and QPR punished us for that and I think the second half they did pull us all over the pitch.
2: Yeah absolutely spot on I think uh, we really allowed them in the game but Tom why do you think QPR were able to, to turn the game around because of the first half I would say Mills will look fairly comfortable.
4: See, I, I don't know if it's something to do with the um, the, the pressing as well as the man marking because I thought the first 20 minutes or so of that game, they didn't know uh, how to handle us really. I thought our pressing was really good and we had more than one chance to to score uh, in, in that first 20 minutes. But second half, it looked like a complete team of strangers. <laughs> we're playing, it looked like someone's just thought, Oh, we're short on numbers for today. Can someone bring about four mates and then we'll put them all on the team? And because <laughs> it didn't look like they'd even play together, um, yeah. and and QBR just was that to their, their advantage. I agree with what you, you said as well, Dana, about um, early in the second half being an opportunity for other teams this year because we were talking about it last year in terms of um. You know, it was slow starts from Borough, but that was generally at the at the start of games, yeah. and now it's been pushed forward 40, 45 minutes, and, and, and now it's in the second half, but it's the exact same problem.
2: Mm. Absolutely. I think where, when you looked at the game on, on Wednesday night, I thought there was it was a really good opportunity for Borough to really put a marker down for, this, for the season and to say to the, the league, you know what, we, we can actually challenge this year. And I appreciate it. It's very, very early doors, you know, the cranker era where... We had a quite a poor start, came back, and then after the international break, and really kicked on. But against the likes of QPR, they are the surprise, well, quotation, surprise team of, of of the season. They look very good. They're very expansive. You know, play good football, cause you all... And it's exactly what we were saying on the podcast previously. We were just saying how good they could potentially be. And I thought in that first 15 minutes, we got absolutely spot on. You know, really good press. We managed all well out the game. The man management system probably did work to some extent. Mm, but yeah. as soon as Mark Walbert and his team kind of figure that out by half time and dare I say, even when they had 10 men they probably played better than us anyway because they were able to I don't know I don't know what it was I felt, I felt like even though they had 10 men they still had more players on the pitch that's how it kind of yeah, felt didn't I, it I
3: felt like that as well I had to double take on the match because I thought are, are we the team with a man advantage or is it them
2: <laughs> well they were very very fluid they're very very fluid and you know they were a fantastic side I think Mark Wadden's doing a fantastic job there as well and I think they're definitely going to be up there. And, and the, to be honest, I, we can complain quite a lot about the game, but all in all, I think we're beaten by the better sides. And I think Boris should move on from that. But, Tom, I want to chat about Isaiah Jones. And I appreciate now it's four four games and, and three assists, but he's a boy full of confidence, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we were saying, uh, you know, after,
4: after the first game or the second game, um, he, he seems to just have that... Um, you know positivity and, and and you know he's got a desire to to beat his man and, and and put a ball in, which we've not had for for a couple of years um obviously but i think Cabano and Balassi were the only ones who brought that, that last year and it, it's just been something that's been missing from the team but the more he plays like that, the more confidence he's going to get and I think you know the the, the fans are already behind him and and that's going to be en- enough of a a morale boost for him to well. Not to see him fr- see it through because he he already has he already like we said last week deserves to be in that that conversation and you know based on on what we tweeted yesterday he's a- already got his own song that's not to the the theme of Seven Nation Army so what more could he want?
3: <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> it's
2: still only early. It can change.
4: Yeah, it well, can change.
3: Well, we've got Mitchell <laughs> Van Bergen coming through. Um, yeah. soon, not we so yeah, let's not. We're gonna call him <laughs> Mitchell
2: Van Berger van if, you, if we don't get our chips and curry dinner. I
3: know, oh God, what a week, what a bad week! I
2: know, I know, we'll come on to that. Uh, not the Berger we'll, we'll come yeah. on to this transfers <laughs> a little bit later on. Um, but I want to chat about Matt Crooks dinner and um, because Isaiah yeah. Jones it had a fantastic, you know, aggression about him to win the ball back. Um, for Matt Crooks's assist, and it was absolutely rifle in the top bins as well. But we touched him last week. Um, have you been impressed uh, with this with the summer sign of Matt, Matt Crooks? And what do you think he brings to this Borough side?
3: I have been impressed with him. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we spoke about our summer signings uh, two or three podcasts ago, and I said that I was a little bit skeptical on him because I just didn't feel like he would really replace the goals that George Savile had last season. But to be fair, he's already. He's already almost there, really, to be fair. I think Saville scored six last season, didn't he? gone I mean, too. the bar
2: was set very, very <laughs> true, low. <laughs> true,
3: very true. But, <laughs> he, I mean, he's such a Neil Warnock player um, that it's unbelievable, really. I mean, I, I made a note during the Fulham game that he's incredibly um, important at winning second balls and just winning those aerial duels and those aerial scraps. And I think he's really provided, um, I know you always say it, but, but a link between the midfield and um and the attack and I think he works he was working really well during the Bristol City game with Isaiah Jones, um, similarly um recently with uh Piezu as well. And I just I, he's a bit of a breath of fresh air. I mean what he said after the game on his home debut that like he you know, I think Matt Drew asked him the question, why Borough? And he said oh it's middlesbrough and i think that's just i mean that's lovely to hear really and um he's somebody that i think wants to really flourish here and i can i can respect that i think you can see his hard work his industry but also you know the good old cliche he's got uh, good feet for a big man he does you know he's an absolute unit he's called the the nickname of the tree isn't he but don't take anything away from his technical um, oh, ability as well.
2: I really want to know where this tree nicknames came from.
3: Same, actually. But I, maybe it's just in terms of his build, because he is, you know, he's obviously tall. Um, mm,
2: it's, it's the branches, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I thought There's it was. A tree in the tree in the green hair. Yeah. Tremendous <laughs> <blue. laughs> <Green laughs> tree <I'm> Tremendous player. <laughs> <blue. laughs> Get out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> uh, but on the flip side, Dana, um, We've we've spoke about Matt Crooks and we spoke about um, Isaiah Jones, two new players coming into this system and, and, and into this team. But on the flip side, of, Boris nucleus of, of Fry, House, and McNair, they all seem to have really poor nights against uh, against QPR. Why do you think QPR were able to make it really difficult for them, especially with ten men as well?
3: I think it was because of the playmakers that they've got with uh, Elias Chair and Chris, uh, Chris Willock. I mean, we obviously encountered problems against Fulham with Fabio Carvalho, but double that against QPR and it's it's incredibly difficult. Even the fact that you know we had that man advantage, they still had that movement to you know as we committed men up the pitch to take advantage of that space and to be fair I felt sorry for Fry because he was getting really exp- exposed on the left hand side. There was a moment in the first half where Mark Baller was playing right back. Dyke Steele was right sided centre half and Johnny Howison was left back. And that's the problem with man marking is that it just pulls everyone out of position and it it seems to pull the full backs out of position more than anyone else. I think for their was it the second goal, um Dyke Steele and Baller were both in central areas trying to press um, Chris Willock and yeah Fry was I mean it wasn't a great performance from Fry but he was getting exposed mm. on that left hand side. Um, Houston kept leaving Chris Willock and it meant that Bowler had to come central from left back and then there was space in that left back area it was just a complete mess to be honest. There was no real authority or control born out of the the two uh, midfielders between McNair and Housen and it was just it was a really poor performance and I think it exposes how if a few individuals or maybe even one individual is off the boil and the man marking then it can really cause your problems
2: yeah absolutely i mean even when you were saying about mark baller there it looks like he was doing the doing the doing the salsa where he's like know, he yeah, was coming was, or going didn't he he was
3: dancing wasn't he <laughs> <laughs> i don't know
2: but in terms in terms of, of mark baller i think you know he, i've been really impressed with it, the start of the season from him and I hope, like, whoever we bring in as cover or comes to challenge him, like, it brings out the best of ball as well. But I want to talk about Johnny Housen, guys, because I feel like we're in a bit of a crossroads with, uh, with Housen at the moment because it seems to me... Now, this is a comment you could completely disagree with, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. I feel like we're in lead bit of last season with Johnny Housen at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love him, but I just think there's, you know, there's Sam Mosley he's probably, you know... Mm. You know, he's yeah. probably the better player who should be in that position. What, what do you think? Do you think we're in the lead bit of last season with uh, Johnny Holson? I'd
4: agree with that. And I do think he's probably still got a part to play this season. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that we drop him completely or anything like that. But there was a, a point in the build-up to, I think, the second goal, um, possibly the third goal. I can't, I can't remember which one against QPR where both him and McNair, their man-marking was, was awful for it. Because I, I saw McNair actually jogging towards the guy who had the ball, but he didn't get within 10 yards of him before he'd already passed out to someone. And Houston was similar. Um, but you know if we had Sam morsey on the pitch, like, he, he'd have been doing everything he could to like, cut off that passing lane or, or, or try and retrieve the ball back. So I I think as much as, you know, he's the captain and, and you know, Warnock says oh him and McNair are great pros and they should be playing and stuff like that, Morsey was the better option for for that game. And I'd even I know we'll probably come on to this a little bit later on as well, I'd probably be even looking to to give Piero uh some starts uh at, at the moment in in a midfield probably with Morsi and Crooks just because like I say um the man marking from from those two so i've not been impressed with either one um so far this season yeah yeah Dana, yeah no
3: to... i completely agree it was actually for both goals that houston left his his man it was chris willick that he was that he was marking and he he's with him at the start of the moves but then by the end of it i mean on the for the first one he comes out to the right-hand side which i don't know why um <clears throat> And then for the second one, sorry, for the third goal, the um, who was it? It was Chris Willett that scored it. He comes out, he tries to press Stephanie Hansen, but he doesn't actually press. It's, I don't want to say half-hearted, because but I can't think of another word, so I'm just gonna to have to say that, anyways. I suppose it was quite conservative and indecisive, a bit like Mark Bowler for the second one. And I mean, if you're gonna come out and press, come out and press. It was just he he sort of went and then didn't. And then all it did was leave spacing behind.
2: Yeah, it wasn't even like a half press, was it? Do you know no, what I mean? It, it was kind of like a. Do I have to? Yeah, because <laughs> like yeah, yeah.
3: obviously Stefan Johansson advances and Housen comes out, but then it leaves Chris Willock. And I mean, it was just. It wasn't a great performance from Housen. Um, I think that everyone's sort of been on his back. This week, to be fair, he was good when he came on against Derby. To be fair, but the QPR game was a real stinker, and I don't think he can have any complaints that he was dropped for the game at the weekend.
2: Okay, well, thank you very much, guys, and we'll chat about uh, Paddy McNair in a second. But we'll be back just after this.
3: On the podcast this year, we want to make a difference. That's why we've teamed up with the Motor Neuron Disease Association to help them in the fight against MND. Motor Neuron Disease is a fatal and rapidly progressing disease that leaves people locked in their own body, unable to talk, move, swallow and eventually breathe. If you'd like to help the MNDA continue their fantastic support for those with MND, please head to www.justgiving.com forward slash MND and donate what you can.
2: So, guys, we're going to chat about Derby County now. And on Saturday, Neil Warnock made three changes to the side of that loss against QPR, with Sam Mosey and Mike Stevernia returning to the side. And Lee Peltier made his first league start in, in replace of Johnny House and Jed Spence and Grant Hall. we also seen a tweak in system and personnel as well, with Paddy McNair reverting to that centre-back position. Um, but, guys, it's a question that's on, all, it's on Borough fans' lips. They can't stop talking about it. It's what is Paddy McNair's best position? Uh, Dana... Paddy McNair, defender, midfielder. What do you think brings the best out of the Northern Ireland national? And bear in mind, he got given an eight point three rating yesterday on who scored. So... I don't
3: pay too much attention to that though, because to be fair, what I came to know yesterday is that um, crosses and set pieces technically count as key passes. So he's, I mean, he's top for us in terms of key passes. So I think that's why he's got such a a, a big uh, who score rating, but. For me, Paddy McNair is best in a defensive three. I think it would be interesting and I was thinking about it yesterday, whether or not he's played in a midfield whilst we've played in um played with wing backs. I can't remember him doing so. So that could be something that we could potentially explore. But for me he's the best in a in a back three.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with Tom. You, you and all agree centre back for Johnny Olson. Not Johnny Olsen, Paddy McNair. Hey, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh
4: yeah, centre back in a back three. I, f- I don't like him in a back four uh, as a partner mm. for for Dill Fry. Um, and I think in midfield, I think he's got the potential. He just doesn't do it consistently. I remember, I think it was when he first signed, uh, we had a pre-season friendly against um, Sunderland. The one that got rained off at oh, half time because yeah. lightning at the stadium or something like that. But he, he was making some good runs forward in that game, and I thought if it's the type of player we've signed, it's it's what we've been missing, and then never seen that again from him since. And then Matt Crooks has kind of started to to do that role. But I think in in a defensive free, he, he's got the um, the ability to kind of step out from defence and, and and play the balls into midfield and kind of be that link between the two. And he's got cover in in the in the shape of uh, probably Fry and Hall usually. Um, but I think. Other than that, in a back four, uh, I don't I want him to to be a centre back, and yeah, in, in centre midfield, I think he's he's all right. I just think there's there's other options as well
2: in mid, in midfield which could
4: probably be a, a step up from where he is.
2: Yeah, I think it was Neil. Did Neil Warnock uh, say that Paddy McNair could be a uh, well not world class but like top class centre back, but on a very average midfield? Yeah, exactly, that was right, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah i probably agree with the comment, to be honest. Mm. I think Paddy McNair is much better centre-half in a three than he is in, in centre midfield, to be honest. I just think the way he can, he can play as more of like a deep-line midfielder, really. Yeah. Midfield-like defender, but do you know what I mean? Like, comes into midfield, causes the overloads, and. Able, able to break teams down, I think that would probably be beneficial to more towards the team, I think, it gives us a more fluid style of play, and I've always said this about the three at the back as well, given that we play quite a lot of long balls and we try and search the ball in the channels, surely when we do play three at times, we're able to like change the angle quite quickly, do you know what I mean, if we pass across the back line, so like, you've got McNair on the one side, you've got Taylor Fry on the other, both really good ball playing centre-halves, and I feel like we should probably look to to maybe implement that probably in the in the coming weeks. But I want to talk about Anthony Dijk still, Dana, because you called him wonderful on the, on the last podcast. Um But yesterday we saw him play in a more slightly advanced position, um, which I was really surprised by, and he's playing in the right midfield. Um What do you think was the understanding behind it? Was it maybe Jed Spence was fatigued, man-to-man marking on the left-hand side? What do you think it was? Because it was quite bizarre, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, I can't wrap my head around that. I mean, I don't know why Lee Peltier was starting either. That was a bit of a curveball, but I genuinely don't know what Neil Warnock was going for there. I mean, on their left-hand side, it was Joukoviak and um, Craig Forsyth. I mean, surely you don't need that much defensive... Structure and a defensive safety net in two defensive wide players against Yakoviak. I mean, I don't even think Derby fans rate him. So it was a strange one. Um, maybe it was Neil Warnock making a statement again that we need a right winger. I mean, to be fair, Jed was really unlucky and unfortunate to get dropped because I thought he had one of his best performances in a while against QPR, and it was just it was a shame that we that that, ki- that came in a defeat because I don't think he got the press that he deserved to be honest because I thought he was great in that game but yeah it was it was strange to see Dyke steal there it was strange to see Peltier right back to start with I can't I, I honestly don't know why it, it must have been a statement from Warnock to say right Steve Gibson get your right winger in because we need one
2: Get me Burger Van in. <laughs> <Get me Bergervan. laughs> um, but no, there's there's a heat map um on who scored around like the most like average position that Peltier and Dyke Steel were in and they were both on top of each other pretty much. <laughs> they're literally on top of each other. Like I've never known like how I like it. Like there's I'm looking at the like, they look at the halfway line, there's about two or three yards above it, and they're both just like just stuck together. And I just I don't know why we're doing it. Are we trying to play a five there or are we trying to like I'm I'm so confused what's behind it?
3: Yeah, when I was watching well, when I was watching the game and then when I watched back the highlights, it did seem like Dyke Steele was sort of tucking in, wasn't he, in that mm. sort of right back area. And what I have noticed is that when we do attack there's a lot of players that are just in the same area as each other. There's no real space or I mean, against Bristol City you had Jones very tight um to the touchline, so that gave us an outlet. But for the most part we we are pretty much on top of each other at all times mm,
2: I think absolutely I think when you talk about Anthony Dagsteel as well I think for me I think he's a much better player centrally for me I think he, you know I think he could be a, a good centre defensive midfield player I think he can play that part of the three as a centre half and I feel like just it benefits him so much more because I feel like there's one-to-one defending superb and mm. I don't get me wrong. I've never seen I've never seen something so offensive out of him. Like I've never like known him to like mm. just, like ping a ball 30, 40 yards. You know what I mean? I, I very much just see him as like as someone who breaks up the play, starts again easy ball, and we d- we just go again. And I think mean, that's why I'm thinking maybe center mm. defensive yeah. midfield. You know, if you want to have the option there, and if we don't, then that's absolutely fine. Keep him at right back. But
3: I think right sided centre half.
2: half. Mm. Well, yeah,
4: that's what which I
3: mean. again just feeds into the.
2: The
4: narrative of three. three at the back. Yeah, yeah. Mm. See, I don't mind him at right back, but one one thing that impressed me with him against QPR was some of the dribbles he was going on, um, like up towards their box, because he, he was actually beating his man, which is probably what got him got him the place at uh, right mid yesterday, but. Um, <laughs> yeah we'll for next week he <laughs> 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 was doing that quite consistently and like i mean it was short passes across the face of the box it wasn't exactly crosses I, I think he did put a couple in maybe on his left foot but they weren't that great um but he he was kind of consistently beating his man and and you know beating beating a few consecutively as well um so i, I don't i don't mind him at right back for that it, it seems to be a, a new part of his game which i've i've not seen much of before
2: yeah, I think well, well, let's let's chat about the game then, Tom, because Borough had eleven shots yesterday, and we tested, I'd say, Roos, maybe like four times. I can really think of McNair, Tavhouse, and Crooks hitting the bar as well. Um, but it wasn't enough to get the result, really. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts on the nil-nil draw with Derby yesterday. And how could have Borough made the result more positive? Right, I'm gonna put like optimistic Tom in a box right
4: now because I'm still annoyed with that result yesterday. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, I, I thought it was a bad result. Um, okay. I saw. A few tweets saying, "You know, you know, Derby are on all right form, and that that's a good away point." I really don't agree with that. I don't think Derby are on good form at all. Um, they had one win in in midweek against Hull, um, but before that, they drew against you know a, a team that we all had picked as as
2: going down. Uh, in, in, and in and in that Rogers beat field. Sheffield United yesterday. You yeah, know, uh, thank, it, thanks, thanks, you, You know, you, kind of it, you let me down for seven hundred quid, Fuming, Anyway, but <laughs> sorry, Karen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Sheffield United also being, you know, a
4: terrible start to the season, but Huddersfield, we, we all have them picked for for relegation in our preview, sure, and, and the Drew with them. The loss to Peterborough, who, I mean, in fairness to them, you know, they've, they've built a good team, but I think most established championship teams would be looking at a game against Peterborough and thinking this year we should probably beat them. Um, and... I saw I saw a quote yesterday from Warnock about the first half, saying we were giving Derby far too much respect. Like, why are you giving Derby too much respect? Yeah. Like they've they've done nothing to earn that this season. I was on the Rams Review podcast last week, giving a, a kind of Borough view uh, on on the upcoming game, and they were all expecting us to walk all over them. They were thinking, you know, three 0 two 0 a Borough, and. W- I mean, I've seen extended highlights of it and, and listened to the the commentary on BBC Ts yesterday, but it just it it looked like we were making it far too easy for them and they could have actually won the game, which I mean, you know, if if you wanna look at possibly a positive for the start of this season, it's identical record to the season we went up and there wasn't a way draw against Derby in there as well. But you should be looking at that that result yesterday and thinking we need to win that. Like you you can't be drawing that and then saying it's a good result. All
2: right, then just before I come uh, to to your point, Dana, I just want to get an opposition view. Um, So this week we spoke to Derby fan
5: Ryan Dilks from the Second Tier podcast uh, to hear his thoughts on Borough. So I was quite disappointed with Middlesbrough yesterday because while Derby have done a lot better than I was expecting, Derby fans were expecting and many neutrals were expecting so far this season. I was still Expecting Millsborough to at least be the better side yesterday, but I honestly think for the vast majority of the game, Derby were the better side. I think when it got to the 80th minute mark, both teams looked to be settling for a point, but up to that point, I mean, the likes of Ucic Piezu and Marcus Tavernier barely touch the ball, Tavernier, in particular was, I I forgot he was on the pitch. I didn't realise he was on the pitch until I looked at my phone and realised he was there. Um, I I thought it was a game of two defensively solid sides at the back. Derby have got Curtis Davis and Phil Jagielka, two experienced players, as we all know. Um, So it's going to be difficult to break down those two. Um, And Derby didn't really... It caused many problems for McNair and Fry at the back either. But that's not particularly expected, really. So the main reason why I'm disappointed is because Middlesbrough didn't really lay much of a glove on Derby going forwards. Surely they hit the crossbar and there was another good chance in the first half. But apart from that, I I really, what, I never really felt like Derby were in danger of losing that game. So, Denner.
2: Short of ideas, Derby, you know, they were expecting more from Borough. They're expecting that Mildred didn't really have too much quality. Would you agree? I mean, we could could have probably taken more from the game.
3: Yeah, we were crap, to be fair. I mean, I completely agree that... I mean, I expected more from Borough, to be fair. A lot of people were saying that the second half was an improvement, but to be fair is it really, does that really mean it was a good half? I think we're clutching on straws there if we're saying that that second half was an improvement because I felt like we probably could have gone on for another ten hours and we probably wouldn't have scored Um, I was just really disappointed how toothless we were and in the first half we were so deep that I mean, I don't know why we were forced so deep, um, whether we were forced or not. It was just very bizarre from Borough in terms of how we attacked the game, how we approached the game. Um, We changed things in the second half, but still, I just don't feel like we were ever going to score from that game, which is really, really disappointing. And I completely echo Tom's thoughts that that was a really bad result. Um, We do have a question about it later on, so I'll keep my thoughts for them, but... Yeah, it was, I, I mean, I spent 20 minutes trying to find a stream for that game. I've probably got a Trojan horse on my uh, computer, but, you know, um, I watched that game on a dodgy stream and I thought the quality of it was going to be the worst part, but it was actually the quality of the game rather than the quality of the stream. It was the worst part <laughs> of the uh, of the match. I
2: don't know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of hear both your points. I think with it's like a bad result. I think, but think, the end of the day, I think with like it's so early in the season. I don't think the squad's finished yet. And brutally honest, you know, we we just need points, and whether it's a point I appreciate it's only a one point at Derby, but if it helps us towards the end of the season, then that's absolutely fine. Does my opinion change on like the promotion? So, like, well, no, because uh, my thoughts have always been the same: of we're not going to get promoted this season, and I think that we're we're a bit too far off. And I think, if anything, I think the game, probably yesterday, I think and maybe against QPR as well, kind of showed that we we have some way to go if we want to be considered. Um, don't get me wrong, Sheffield United are in a way worse position than us, but you know what you're kind of, it's just like he takes about 10 games and after that's 10 games he just seems to go unbeaten beating for the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I think there's there's more work to do. I think there's, you know, when we're talking about offensively, I think we, we need to do more in terms of, you know, creating more chances for Uchi, get a bit closer to him. I think Tav tried to do that a little bit more yesterday, but we didn't really cause too much problems for Derby and then if anything I think the game really highlighted just our weaknesses in, in general I think it's going forward I think M- Neil Warnock's sides have always got a solid base by Wednesday night um but I mean yesterday I thought we were pretty solid but if we weren't then that's absolutely f- I think we were on Saturday but all in all I think that was a yeah. just a, a kind of like a point on the board to carry on for the next game really
3: yeah I've got a point though um obviously <laughs> The game on Saturday, we were probably expected to win. I think, in terms of quality, man for man, and collectively, we were far the superior side on paper. But my problem with the Neil Warnock side is when we are superior on paper and the onus is on Neil Warnock to get the team winning that game, I feel that's where we falter. We can really Mm -hmm. perform well on the underdog tag and, you know, going to Fulham and nicking a point, going to Norwich and Nicking um, a point from that, going to Watford and putting in a, a pretty decent display, which mm. we should have got a point from mm. last season. But then when the onus is on us to win, it's like we have no ideas, we have no answer to it, and that's my problem.
2: Yeah, I think we'll, I think I think teams are set deep against us really because you know, we we have nothing going forward. So, like, I'm I'm excited to see what the the Blackburn game is going to be like. It's going to be like World War One, I, I think, with the ball <laughs> in, the, in the middle of the pitch and both of us are in the trenches because we both don't like having possession of the ball. So. It'd be interesting to see how we how we fare up against it. But after the game, guys, um, Neil Warnock he didn't seem to be in the in the best of moods. I'm going to put it that way. Um, not just with the performance, but even with transfers as well. Um, and when he was asked about transfers, his comments were about Van Bergen. He was if we if if there's a problem with the deal, it's not what to do with me. Um, I'll have, and also, he said the comments of I have to be honest, I would not really want two or, two from the same two or more from the same continent uh, because it's difficult to integrate them in the team. Like Ie Martin, it takes a few months. Are you with me? Um, I prefer lads uh, that I know will do it in the championship uh, as well. So, then <laughs> a bit frustrated, Neil Warnock. There, what do, what do you make about of, of his comments around the transfers?
3: Oh, it is just a broken record, really. I feel like he's planting the excuses in pretty early. And with Neil Walnut, there always seems to be a subliminal message to everything that he says, where there's what he says and then the sub a subtext to it. And, I mean, a lot of people were saying, well, if I was the Mitchell Van Bergen, I wouldn't come to Borough after those comments. That's not my issue with it. My issue with it is that he would probably rather play Lee Peltier right wing. Than Mitchell Van Bergen because of this whole acclimatising nonsense, which I think <clears throat> is nonsense, because if you've got Martin Pichero there on the bench and you're bunging him on in the 87th minute, how are you expecting for him to acclimatise to the game? Yeah, I understand that he needs time to acclimatise to the country and the language and whatnot. But surely the best the best way to get a player bedded into the team is to play him in games. And I don't, I've never understood that approach from managers where they are cautious in throwing them on. Give him 30 minutes, up it to 35 the next game. Give him, you know, start him. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But like, I don't understand how, I mean, he was going to put on uh, Ola Sanya, wasn't he, yesterday? The the, uh, way that we signed from non-league. And I think that's, I think it's nothing to do with acclimatising to the league and everything to do with who signed who. You think? Go on. Yeah, I, I do because obviously Neil Warnock had a hunch about Olisani, and I, I I don't, I feel a little bit bad for putting his name into this because it's got nothing, you know. Duncan
2: Watmore um, was the same.
3: Yeah, I mean, he's got a hunch about these players. They're his players. He didn't, when you look at Martin Pichero, do you think, oh yeah, he's a Neil Warnock signing?
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah I I'm 100% <laughs> see it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Neil Warnock went to Argentina and just went. Fancy a bit of you, Martin. Fancy a bit of you.
3: <laughs> but seriously, like he, there's a very distinct difference in the <clears throat> the signings that we're making. Obviously, Bamba, Peltier, the, the the championship players, and then the Van Burgens, the Sporars. I know we haven't signed them two yet, but then the Picharo's, they're not really Neil Warnock players. So he's, you know, he's fine with leaving them out because they're not his players. Really, they're not the the, the players that he signed. Whereas the players that he he has signed, he'll. It doesn't matter where he brought them from, he'll play them. So I think it's everything to do with who signed who and and nothing to do with acclimatising to the league.
2: Would you agree, Tom?
4: Yeah, I I think some of the comments remind me a little bit of that, you know, that January transfer window where, you know, Aitor wanted Boyan Hesse and Delefeu and they were like, right, instead of them, we'll give you Gwede or Justed and Bamford. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, you, you could understand why he's upset about that, but it's not as if... We're, we're signing kind of overpriced, like rubbish in the case of Justed and Guardiola. Um, we're signing players here who are, you know, in, in a couple of years' time, you could probably see Pajero and, and Van Bergen, if they progress well, being key parts of this team. And I, I think I, I agree with Dana in terms of the acclimatising players to the, to the team in that he should be getting more game time. I think one, one example I, I thought of... Um, and think about it this morning was Wolves a couple of seasons ago when they brought Ruben Neves in, who, to be fair, is not the most physical player in the world, plays a similar position to Pajero in that he's a, a deep line playmaker. Wonderful player. Did Nuno sit there and think, ah, you know what, the Championship's a hard physical league, and am going to give him 10 minutes a year and 10 minutes there. He played him straight away and he was <laughs> banging in worldies. Like, I'm not saying Pajero's going to do the same thing because there's a difference between the Portuguese league and, and the Argentinian league, clearly, but... For, for these types of players, if they've got the quality they need to be playing, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about um, McNair and, and Housen against QPR and kind of how, how pedestrian they were in the midfield, that's even more of a reason that you should be playing people like Pajero mm. and and get him used to to the team. Um, you know, obviously it's a long season, everyone in that midfield is going to get game time, but you can't just be, you know, giving Pajero like five, ten minutes a year and then, yep. again, not having to go um, you know Alassane because we've not seen him play and personally you know if he's anything like Jones I'm excited to see him play but you can't take a non-league winger and be like right I've got a hunch about him I'm going to give him 30 minutes but you've had a a player who's been playing consistently for uh, you know Banfield in the Argentinian League went to the Olympics and now in three months time will be lacking match fitness
2: but who's sharp now and and you're not playing him yeah I agree with, with both of you to be honest I think to add another layer to that i think it's really difficult for any player to come on uh, as a sub just in general in games because it can take a couple of minutes for you to really get up to speed with the game i think even when you come on like the 87th 89th minute like the games can Kind of done, isn't it? Like, you obviously appreciate history will tell me otherwise, but I mean, like, the I think what I'm trying to say is that it's very difficult to really integrate yourself within five minutes of football. I think I agree with the both of you. I think there's he has to play more Peugeot. I think he has to. Um, if he, if he wants to really integrate himself quicker, then yeah, I think so. But I think like Neil Warren, he'll be seen more on the training ground than what we will. And um, maybe he's a little bit slow, maybe he's a little bit you know, just, just one or two seconds behind the game, but. The more he's playing, the more minutes he's getting. Surely that that would help him out, and it's not just like putting more and more minutes in. It's it's helping him train smarter and trying to see the game in a completely different space. Like he could comfortably learn more from like sitting on the he could learn is exactly the same sitting on the sidelines and watching the pace of the game. That could be the how he learns. But for me, if I was playing, I'd, I'd be wanting to play week in week out. Get the sharpness back up and trying to integrate myself back in, back in the team, and the language will obviously come with that. But um, Jenna, I want to hear your thoughts on Neil Warnock in general because you don't really seem overly pleased with him at the minute, do
3: you? No, I haven't been for a while, to be honest. I mean, I can appreciate that he's a character and a personality, but first things first. First, I don't like the football he plays. Um, I think we've discussed it on the podcast before. I'd much rather possession-based style, but that's my personal preference. Um, so I no, I've got no fault uh, towards the players. I think we've got some fantastic players. I just think the way that they play. I mean, Matt Baller, would you believe, was a genuinely attacking fullback at Blackpool. We we would never know that because of the way that he plays now. Um, so I think that doesn't help. And then I just some of the things that he says in the press, I just can't get behind. I mean, Chuba
2: uh, maybe the way he's been around with Chuba. I think that's a bit yeah, that, a bit questionable.
3: That's I mean to be fair, the way that we've trekked Uh, cheer rat pom in the press has been a real shame i think um there's probably strong words i can say but i mean the fact that he came in he was his number one choice i mean he said he's been my number one choice i've wanted him for a long time that was on the september the 7th uh, the 19th sorry february the 27th he then says with the recruitment team he was top of their list so it's like how can you say one thing he's basically he built up Chew um, Ratpom on day one, and then has tore him down ever since. And I do feel sorry for Ratpom, but yeah, there's certain things that he says in the press that I'm just like, that's unnecessary. And, and why, you know, what do you get out of that? I understand that managers need to maybe cover things up for the for the sake of the you know benefiting the club and the image, but I just feel like Neil Warnock says things to get messages out and to make statements. And mm. yeah, I mean, my patience is quite thin. So when there is a result like Derby in a performance like Derby, it's really hard to not be frustrated. But as is always the the defence of him, he's the manager that knows how to get out of this league. Well, if he's a manager that knows how to get out of this league, then shows.
2: All right then. Well, I'd like to blame the officials for that uh, comment there. <laughs> and, uh, Tom, what, what do you think of Neil Warner? Because there's obviously that one side that's really pro-warnock then there's like real i feel like there's murmurs now of kind of like i'm just getting frustrated with some of the comments how how are you feeling about it all i mean i'm getting frustrated with
4: some of the comments um i I do understand the the pro-warnock view um i I think i'll always kind of appreciate the the job he did when he came in and saved us from what looked like certain relegation because i'm pretty sure it would have been if we'd have have said we would get and went went down that path um but yeah, I, I was just thinking there when when Dana was talking. I think a lot of his comments now seem like he knows this is probably his last job, and he's got nothing to lose by saying this stuff. I think in in terms of what he said about the the signings, you know, I'm I'm not impressed at all with you know his treatment of uh, Akpom in the in the press, um, and in terms of the the signings, where he said like, "Oh, Van Bergen, you know, it's now to do with me." I think there's a couple of ways you can look at it. I think there's potentially, if he's just being a, a bit flippant and he's like, uh, you know, it, it's Bowser's job to, to negotiate this. It's nothing to do with me. I, I suppose it kind of depends on how you read it and, and how you listen to him say it. But also if he's he's kind of saying, it's now to do with me as in, like, I don't know anything about this player, then I, I don't know. I, I think you just need to get over it a bit and, like, actually knowing that his job at the moment is short-term. I, th- I think he said... Um, short-term HMS, piss the league, and we go <laughs> up. There we go. I, I, th- I think he said like a, a month ago about the, the Kieran Scott stuff, who's like, oh, we'll, we'll probably have like a random German or, or Austrian in in charge next season. It, I mean, who, who knows who's going to be in charge next season, but I don't think it's going to be him. I think what he's got to do with this season, obviously he's got his own goal of trying to get us promoted, which he's been talking about since last year. But you've also got to bring these players like Pajero and Van Bergen into the team, integrate them and get them ready for whoever's taken next year. Mm. Um, like I said earlier, knowing that these players are likely in a couple of years the future of the of the team. So yeah, get them
2: ready. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on there, Tom. I think getting them ready is is, is a really valid comment, to be honest. And I think I even I put the tweet out as well, just saying that like Warnock needs to realise that it's not about him. It's about probably the future now because either way like i think even if we get promoted i feel like there's going to be questions around like your record's not great in the premier league we could probably do with a different steering leadership we're bringing new players in they're not going to be your your type we're trying to play like this project borough style or whatever we want to do and it might not just be for him but at the end of the day like yeah i think you spawned that time. that i think he just needs to get them ready for maybe this season if we go up fantastic we'll see where we, we take from there but if we don't go up we need to be in a position next year where we can really give it a good go I think that probably would be where we're at. But. I, I do think that
4: we are currently still signing players with a long-term project in mind. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, th- I think a couple of years ago when they were talking about the Golden Thread and, you know, this is how footballs want to be played. We've played a lot of different formations since then, but I always kind of get the feeling that the club does want to play 4-3-3 and you know, like Woodgate as like oh, attacking high pressing football and stuff like that. And the players that we're signing, you know, the likes of Van Bergen and and, and Pajero, you have got players that we signed a couple of years ago who are now uh, you know, starting to to be key players in the team, Dykesdale, Bowler. even uh Isaiah Jones who we signed a couple of years ago is now starting to step up and and, and be probably a first team player. Um, I think we've got that in mind, and you know Warnock's a manager that's that's played four three three quite often. It's just a very different style of four three three to how, how I imagine that we want to be playing. But the the players that the club are bringing in, um, I don't think it's it's Warnock who's bringing in like Pajero and, and Van Berg and people like that. I, I think it probably is you know a, a recruitment team and you know based on, on a long term plan. But like I said, it, it it needs to be him getting them ready to for whoever takes over now, and you know having them being first team players for for when that happens.
2: Mm, absolutely. Well, well, since Neil Warnock couldn't give us any information on the on the transfers, we decided to catch up with Dom Shaw from the Gazette to understand more about the Van Bergen saga, Spora deal, and the overall transfer strategy, including Middlesbrough's dealings with Kieran Scott.
7: I think it's been a very interesting transfer window in that. There are clearly two different types of, of two different categories of of player borough of of Chase this summer. Um, first things first you've got the the kind of EFL players with that Nouse of the Division, a bit of a bit of championship and EFL snarl about them. Um, the likes of Utche Piezu, Matt Crooks, obviously Saul Bamber and Lee Peltier, two players who who Neil Warnock knows very well. Um, and I think the thing with, with those, particularly Nick and Crooks, is that they, they come hungry with a point to prove. Uh, this is, you know, Crooks said that um, having failed at Rangers or failed maybe a bit harsh, having having not worked out for him at Rangers, he, he kind of thought that was his chance for a big move gone Um, with respect to the other clubs he's played for. But but he's obviously come in now with with another opportunity and has made a good start. And Mick Piesa as well, he's kind of... Career has has been an upward an upward trajectory of, of one slow one one steady step at a time and and he's made a good start as well and I think um, Sanya is another or, or Mr T as Warnock's uh, told us to call him um, I think he's another who who's kind of comes hungry and and Warnock has talked about how. Um, you know those players that they've almost got nothing to lose with them it's it's a gamble that's worth taking then on the other hand you've got this this um cluster of players who Burr have looked at abroad martin Piero, Ro- martin Pierro, uh, rodrigo muniz Andras uh mitchell van bergen and and they're just the ones we know about so obviously that the chances are there are countless more um now, obviously, Warnock's comments about Van Bergen and um, you know if if we are after him or if we are close to signing him, it's it's now to do with me raised eyebrows on on Saturday. Obviously, you know that prompts the obvious kind of recruitment questions as to kind of who you know where that's coming from. Then, but I, but I think it's clear and it has been for for a little while that there's. Obviously, the recruitment team are working um, and, and have been studying players and are looking at players. And then Neil Warnock's got his kind of preferred style of player as well. And and I think it's been clear, certainly this summer and, and potentially even going back to last year, that, that, that a balance is being struck there, really, as to trying to find a middle ground between them both. Um, now, as for the Kieran Scott question... <sighs> Honest answer is I, I don't know. Um, I don't know if he if he's had a say on anything this summer. My instinct would tell me not, in that um, having listened to uh, and read a lot of Stuart Weber. Uh, interviews and, and and listen to a lot of what he says um, it's 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 about the job he's done is getting a feel for for a full football club rather than just working on the transfers so my instinct would tell me that that Kieran Scott would want to come in get a feel for the place um, have a closer look at how things work day to day before he started putting his his fingerprints all over transfers that said um it wouldn't surprise me if 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 he's certainly had a good look at these players if if it's you know if he's aware of the the players uh borough are looking at and and if he's kind of cast an eye over them because you know ultimately these are the players who who playing for the team that he's going to be uh, have a have a, have a say in helping to um in helping to to provide in the in the coming in the coming windows so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and it'll be interesting to see how the next week of the window plays out um particularly after Warnock's uh, comments about the, the, the spora problem on Saturday. Hopefully that gets resolved. And as, as Warnock has said repeatedly over the last few weeks, things always crop up, ins and outs. So it might well be that names that haven't been mentioned, potentially even areas that aren't seen as priorities now, suddenly something crops up and, and, and prompts Burr into action.
2: So Tom van Bergen, uh, 23-year-old winger from Haravine, Uh what do you think he can bring to this Borough side?
4: Well, I've done a, a bit of research on him. Um, yeah, I think I've used who scored um, to, to look into this. So between 1.7 and 2.5 shots per game, uh, average two successful dribbles per game and two key passes per game. Those stats are actually above um, Isaiah Jones, who I think we'll all agree has been the creative spark and probably one of our only creative sparks this season. Uh, Albeit there's a a much larger sample size with Van Bergen compared to the, the four games that Isaiah Jones has played. But you'd expect that to kind of even out with that anyway. He can play either wing, but the majority of his minutes for here and been last season have came from the right hand side. So I'm looking forward to seeing that if he actually gets on the pitch, if we can um, <laughs> you know, have a, have a bit of balance on the right hand side as well as Jones on the left. Because I think um, <clears throat> from what I saw yesterday, teams are starting to twig on to the fact that we're going to use Jones as much as possible. Now it's almost like uh, when we had a, a dam 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 or 2.0. And, yeah, uh, like. The peeler's ball tactic of just give it to Adama and he'll do it all. It's just give it to Jones now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, he's not the most physical player in the world. Uh, I think he's five foot seven, but he has been playing regularly. Like I said, there's no reason not to play him. Over, otherwise, in three months, once he's fully uh, acc- acclimatized to the <laughs> the uh, the league, he's going to be lacking match practice anyway. But you know, even even if you're looking at his physical attributes and thinking, you know, he's, he's not the most physical player in the World Championships uh, physical league. You only have to look at like the likes of like Nathan Dyer, who I believe is out of 5'6", seven, and was one of the the best wingers in the league when, when he was at Swansea. Um, so I yeah. don't think there's, there's anything against
2: uh, playing Van Bergen if he does sign. Yeah, well, there was another player we signed from Haraveen, Tom, and, and he didn't really end up being a goal machine, did he? Uh, Yannick, Yannick Viljoen. Yeah, Yannick. <laughs> um, but that's what I mean. I think mean, I think he's, he could be a good addition, Tom. I think it'd be nice to have that balance on the wings as well. If you've got Jones on the left, Van Bergen on the right, or you've got Marcus Brown or Tavernier there, it gives you options. Don. So it's like, I think like it's, it's, it, for him yeah, to it come in, I, I feel fun. like there we go. I, I was going to come in, bring it in, um, but I feel like it could be a, a good deal for if, if we are to. To cement it and I think well, obviously Don was saying there, uh, like it, it could be a deal that could favour Middlesbrough as well. But Dana, um Andres Sparrow from Sport and Lisbon, um, clearly coming in to be Borough's number nine, I think. Um you did some research as well, haven't you, this week? And well, let's let's what should Borough fans expect from him?
3: Yeah, I was spot I was talk I was sparking. <laughs> I was
2: I was I was Andres Sparking. <laughs>
3: I was talking to uh, Sporting England who are an English-speaking fan account for Sporting Club Um, and they were basically just talking about the situation that Sporaf found himself in when he joined. Uh, They said that the manager that brought him in played shite, in their words.
2: Fantastic.
3: Um, And he sort of, I don't know, I think he got sacked. He got sacked very soon after. So obviously the the teething period, shall we say, the introductory period in Portugal wasn't great. He came to Sporting off the back of a, um, a a very good spell in um, Slovenia. Um, but in terms of his, his style of play, a couple of their fans have said that he's not a good finisher and that that's his weakness, which isn't great. Um, but he has good movement, um, good first touch. He, he likes to bring uh, others into play. Um, And he's a confidence player. He has good vision, as I said, good movement. Um, He, you know, isn't necessarily the most clinical. I think when um, Luke, the the Watford fan that every Borough fan seems to follow on Twitter now, uh, was looking at his, um, the clips on Scout, he said that his finishing was a bit erratic. Um, But if we can train that out of him and and basically, I don't know, make him... Warnock him. Yeah, I don't (laughs) know, rein it in, then hopefully we can get a decent amount of goals out of him and I mean it's another option with that pom out the door we need one um and he just needs to recover that form I don't think he he has really been in good form since he's been at Portugal but we need to bring the the sporad that was in Slovenia and scoring goals for fun to the championship so hopefully we can do that.
2: I hope so too. So let's guys, let's move on to podcast questions. And this obviously podcast questions is the chance for you to submit the questions to us and we answer them on the podcast. Um, and guys, the first question well, I thought we did cover it. it was it was from Mike Um he said that was a decent point agree or disagree. I think we were all in the kind of agreement that. Point game, two points drop. Maybe? No,
3: absolutely. I think it's. a am strongly two points drop. I think it's. If yeah, if strongly the, disagree Yeah, well. if the Fulham game is a good point, the Derby game cannot be regarded as a good point.
2: Okay, well, my did come back and say a point in the Championship is a good result. Derby have been in in fairly decent form for the last couple of weeks. Which, I mean, if you look on a long term sample size, probably not. But I mean, start of the season they've done okay. Uh, we're still working things out. McNair is better in defence and should stay there and a good clean sheet and a decent point. The um, next question is from Carl. Uh, Carl Watson, he says, why the Warnock negativity around signing players from the continent? Surely this is the market we need to attack. The reluctant start uh, to these kind of signings and waiting too long to bed them in. We discussed it, but let's, let's, let's chat a little bit, a little bit more. Um, why the Warnock negativity? <clears throat> Anyone want to take it? Maybe just is it is it is it that divide that we spoke about previously? to the recruitment team on one side, Warnock on the other side.
3: I have no idea. I'd like to hope not because I think you you obviously don't want sound bites of fractures in amongst the club behind the scenes. But I mean, Warnock has his identity. He has his DNA. He wants those proven championship players or if not proven that they can be performers and, and established performers in the championship because when you look at the signs that we brought in you know Matt Crooks I wouldn't necessarily regard as an established championship performer same with Ike but they certainly have the potential to be so so that's a tick for me but in terms of these I don't even want to call them luxury players because they shouldn't be luxury players they should just be players that we play anyway and, and really bed into being the I don't know, the core of the team. I mean, Martin Pichero, the thing with Martin Pichero, as soon as that link was um, put online, you know, we, every I think everybody did their research, they did their reading, they watched the YouTube compliment, uh, compilations. And the one thing that really struck me with Pichero is his physicality, um, those jewels on the ball where he can manipulate his body to effectively keep possession. And that should be a big part of championship football and, and him really... Um, Bedding into the game and the physicality of it, and I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I agree. There's a few people that's saying like his attitude. That, as I mentioned, I feel like there are subliminal messages in what you Neil know, Warnock says in his press conferences and the attitude that I get from him in regards to the the foreign signings and the signings overseas. It it doesn't really fill me with confidence that they're really mm. going to get too much of an opportunity. And I don't know whether I'm bedwetting here, and you know, I'm being yeah. impatient. And I'm too itchy, and, itchy and impatient because I want Pichero to to play but I don't know I think the attitude that I get from him in press conferences with these players I don't think boards very well for my confidence in these players playing
2: OK well Dom did say in, in, in his message when we were speak, speaking we did say Mills had to strike a balance between Warnock and the recruitment team so maybe that balance is totally starting to, to move again uh, but Tom will go to the next question from Ben Strickland he says um, does the manager know our best team or system
4: I think he probably does know the best system. Um the best team I'm not so sure. And uh, that's just based on, on the decisions he's made in the last couple of weeks of saying like dropping Morsey and putting Housen and McNair in centre midfield and you know, playing Dykesdale right mid yesterday was was baffling to, to me. I think he knows the way he wants to set up this season. <clears throat> and like I said a, a few weeks ago, I think with the transfers we've made I think we've got the the options there to play quite a few systems this season if needed. Um, like like was said earlier, you know, playing Dyke still there yesterday might have just been to make a point, but surely you don't do that in a, a championship game. I, I think you know there was better options there to to put a, a right mid. Dyke still didn't have to move from from right back. Um, so in, in terms of the best
2: players, and you know, I, I don't think he knows that just yet. Okay, and then we'll move on to the next question from Ed. Um, he says, would you continue with the non-press of the first half to be solid but consistently give up possession? How many of the 46 games do you think we will have more possession than the other team? Tom, do you want to really take it? I think we'll probably have more possession against,
4: like, I don't know, a lot, a lot of the lower half teams. Um, I, th- I think we we have improved slightly on on what we had last season. Um, and and the way we're playing is different. Obviously, you have got Crooks and, and Nick Piazza there, who uh, you know can hold the ball up and, and lay it off to people, which we didn't have last season. But I, I think there's still still teams that are better than us in in this league. Uh, probably, you know, I mean, a lot of the, the top ten, I'd say. Um, and and you know, you're going to get a lot of like possession-based teams. In this league, where we go going to need to, have to to really dig in and and defend against them and probably pay, play on the counter attack, which I think we'll probably set up to do uh, by playing the way we are with with wingers and you know a, a couple of uh, big lads at like number ten and, and number nine who can can be in the box for for crosses. Um, it's just something we're gonna to have to kind of take as it comes. But I think we have improved slightly and and probably against most of the lower half teams, we'll probably have more possession. It's just we're going to need to be more clinical to to take advantage of this. I, I know against Bristol, um, I don't want to kind of single him out here because I think he's been one of the best players this season. But Isaiah Jones had a, a couple of chances, which the shooting was, was a bit off, mm. which is probably the only negative I can, I can say about him, really. Um, and to be fair, I think if his shooting was absolutely spot on, he probably wouldn't be playing for Borough. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I mean, it's in terms of that way we're getting into these positions, but we're not being clinical and he's not the only one guilty of it. Um, you know, Ickby Arsley has had a couple of kind of soft shots. Um, uh, I think Jed probably has as well, off the top of my head. But uh, you know.
3: Yeah, Jed's missed one big chance. Howson missed one big chance as well against um, Derby. That's the statistically big chance missed.
4: Yeah, I I think it's just just going to be the matter of uh, being more clinical because I I think we could have had a few against Bristol and, and we could have had a few in the first 20 minutes against QPR but we're just not taking our chances there.
2: Okay, well, it it doesn't matter, you know. Tom, you don't always need possession to win football matches, um, but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean the world. But go on, Dana. There is. Yeah. You were pulling some stats, weren't you?
3: I was. I had a look um, yesterday. At the sort of um, team stats for this season so far. We are third bottom when it comes to possession with forty one point seven percent black. Burn, who we obviously play on uh, Saturday, are just below us with 39.6% average possession. And, I mean, you said it there, you don't necessarily have to have the majority of possession because you see with Scott Parker, his teams will have, will will dominate the ball. Um, But as we sort of discussed when we were looking at Fulham, it was that Parker ball um, idea of just passing it without the conviction. Yeah and I think what we really need to improve on is our set pieces because if we are going to have you know surrender possession and and, you know really allow other teams to dominate us in that respect then when we do get that opportunity to put the ball into the box from set pieces we need to be better and I think that in terms of set pieces we have been very very poor this season. I know that Obviously, we won that penalty against Bristol City. Um, It was against QPR, wasn't it? QPR. QPR, yeah, from a corner. But, for the most part i think our set pieces are incredibly poor and there seems to be this idea from outsiders that we are a set piece team and i do not know where that's come from
2: yeah absolutely. neil
3: warnock said it himself he sort of um it was a bit of a self-deprecating comment when sky sports asked him about the future of heading in football and he said well you know we, we barely get our head on a on a set piece or a corner or a free kick or anything so yeah i feel i feel like that's a myth.
2: Well, the game's changing now and John we were spoke previously around like bringing in specialist coaches, um, to do like sp- certain parts of the game. Yeah. Set piece coaches is becoming like a really popular thing now. I'm not saying like, you know, we should go with like the the, the Jones and stuff like that, but I mean like it's the case of like maybe we should maybe look to that or, I would like, welcome that. Or have like some sort of specialist in each part each department, like you've got um i don't know like within physios can you have like a sleep department or improve sleep for players that to recovering as much like yeah, you're the, laughing it but
3: no the sleeping room at teeside uni <laughs> the sleeping just, room at teeside uni
2: yeah i mean <laughs> well that's what i mean like i think the likes of brentford i think man city have one now yeah. i think that liverpool, liverpool have one obviously, in terms of like two big clubs there, coaching I mean, like that brentford. but brentford's i mean yeah um they've also got you know set pieces like they've got loads of different types of specialist coaches and then the head coach obviously manages them all and i feel like that's quite a nice route to go down um but i mean we a hundred I mean, a hundred percent certain that Ronnie Jepson and, and, and Blackwell do not believe in sleep coaches. Um, <laughs> so, um, which means you need sleep. <laughs> Go and do a lap, son. Um, <laughs> uh we we'll, want we'll the next question, and it's from the local Amber Stephen. They said, "Why Uche was? T- why is Uche taking off so much, Tom? And could we play another striker alongside Big Uche?"
4: I think the reason he's taken off so much is because his cardio is not built for ninety minutes. He definitely seems the type of player whose, you know, strength is in his strength and explosive power, which doesn't last that long if you've done kind of any sort of like A level PE course or anything <laughs> like that. Like you you know that, you know, even in terms of um you know, you look at like weightlifters and stuff like that, in terms of explosive power, they've got it, but they can't run for ninety minutes. Um, and you look at the type of game he plays, you know, I mean, just the fact that he held off four people by himself at Bristol, <laughs> he doesn't look like the type of player who's going to run for 90 minutes. He looks like the type of player who's going to run through people for 60 minutes um playing another striker alongside him definitely an option but we take don't, the pressure off him as well we don't really have one uh un- <laughs> unless you want to play corburn and uh go four four two with like what? large and large up front But what about dykesdale <laughs> i mean dykesdale probably only a couple of games away from playing there. to be honest <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh do you want to take the last bit of it? It's, uh why i take you off so much Do you think tom's on the money there do you think it's uh
3: Yeah, I think so. And as well, it could potentially be Neil Warnock protecting him because he quite clearly doesn't rate at Pom. Um, He did say that Josh Corburn is definitely in his thoughts for this season, which is interesting because I remember when we spoke about Corburn on, I think it was a season review podcast last season, that I think we were pretty much all in agreement, or at least I was anyways, that loan him out. But he seems to be part of the plans, if that's the case, so be it. Um, good luck to him, but I definitely think that we need another after Sparra if he does um, yeah. sign. I do think we need another one. It's if, one of those things though, isn't
2: it, where we've talked about loans before. Like, is going on loan the best thing for a player? or is Sometimes being around like a good squad of players more beneficial for him. So, like, mm. I feel for So, like, I mean, it, it, yeah. it's completely different, isn't it? I think. So, I think it's clearly dependent on the player if he's in our plans then absolutely I think we should probably try and integrate him a little bit more he impressed me when he when he came in the side of the back end of last year well I mean like he just I think he needs a bit more game time I think but let's chat about Blackburn and so this week uh, we spoke to Ollie from Rovers chat to get all we need to know about Tony Mulberry's Blackburn Rovers
6: hello to everyone at the Borough Breakdown I'm Ollie Walker Peel from Rovers chat and I've been asked to do a quick run over how Rovers have gone so far this season in preparation for the game at the weekend at the Riverside. Um, So, obviously, Roves have started the season quite well. Obviously, only the one-league defeat in the first few games coming uh, at the weekend against West Bromwich Albion, 2-1. Obviously, they're a good side, so uh, we didn't go into that game really expecting to win it. But I thought we fought back well in the second half after going 2-0 down. So, um, it's been a good start to the season, obviously, out of the League Cup against Morecambe. But other than that, things are going quite nicely. We had a win, obviously, on the opening day against um, Swansea City, 2-1. We went away to Millwall, drew one apiece. We've gone away to Forest and 1-2-1, one, one, and then obviously the, the loss at the weekend. So it's been a decent enough start. Uh, in terms of how we set up, um, we usually play a 4-3-3. So Thomas Kaminski's in goal. Um, left back, we've been going with Harry Pickering, who's a new signing from Crew. One player that you should definitely watch out for. Um, his set-piece deliveries are insane, like from free kicks and corners and the like. Um, he can whip a decent delivery in if called upon. Since uh, halves have been Daryl Ennahan and Daniel Ayala, both scored against Forrest. Um, in uh, the other week so um, they're both quality they've formed a decent partnership so far this season uh, right back uh, we started with Ryan Nyambe. he had a, um, an injury he will play if he comes back although we're not sure whether he'll be back in time Hayden Carter's been deputising for him so um, he'll be playing there midfield three um, usually Travis who's a top top player obviously through the academy at Rovers John Buckley, and yesterday we gave a first-ever league start to Leighton Clarkson, who's coming online from Liverpool. I should expect that he'll play again against, um, against Middlesbrough. Um, he played really well, I thought, against uh, West Brom. Obviously got the assist for the goal, beautiful outside of the foot pass. so he looked really promising. And then, um, sort of like a front three, so um, we've got the likes of Gallagher and, uh, and Brio, who are usually up there, and there's also Joe Rothwell, who can play in the midfield. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. We've usually set up as a 4-3-3, but um, obviously with the um, with the changes that could come in, I um, suppose we don't really know. We've only made two changes uh, in terms of starting 11s in, 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 in the league. Uh, sorry, so we've had Niambé out through injury, and we dropped Tyree Stolen yesterday, um, who if he plays, will play as a false nine, sort of buzzing around, putting the goalkeepers under pressure. So I think that's something that Joe Lumley would have to watch out for um, if Tyrese Dolan plays, because he, he won't get a spare minute, obviously brought about the, um, the second goal against Swansea, obviously won the penalty that, that Ben Brio-Diaz took away. So um, so that's one that uh, you'll definitely have to look for. I think the main man four-overs will be Ben Britton diaz um, I don't see how he won't be. Um, if you look at the, uh, at the moment, obviously, coming back from the Copper America, he's been quality, so um, obviously scored against West Brom. He's got three in the league already, so I think he's the star man four-overs this season. Um, Our thoughts on the game, I think Rovers should be coming into it, you know, looking for all three points. I think it's a game that we're looking to uh, come in with confidence. Obviously uh, Borough haven't started too badly. Obviously got a draw yesterday in Derby. So, um, you know, it's not a bad start for Borough, but I think it'll be one that even away from home, we should be going into looking to win. Um, We'll probably be playing the yellow kit as well, which also helps. We've had two wins, uh, sorry, two good results um, in that already four points, a draw against uh, Millwall and then a win against Nottingham Forest in that kit so it's a little bit of a good omen for us but um, we'll probably be using that. Um, I haven't really seen much of Middlesbrough this season but um, from what I've had a look at on paper and from what I've heard from from Middlesbrough fans, you've started the season quite well, um, mid-table so um, I think Middlesbrough will be a tough game, it'll be a really tough game. Um, I can't wait for it obviously next weekend but I think it'll be a game that Rovers will be going into it looking to win. I think we might go in favourites potentially. I know um, the Riverside's a tough place to go. We've had troubles there in recent years. Obviously, won there last year when, um, when fans weren't in one one nil. so a repeat of that i take 100%, but uh, I'm not sure if we can get it. In terms of my prediction, I will back her over win. I'm going to say 2-1, but I don't think it'll be an easy 2-1. I reckon it'll be a quite nervy game. Um, obviously, we know what Borough are about. They're a decent side. Obviously, Neil Warnock, um, one of the best managers this division's ever seen, so um, obviously, that'll be tough for us, but I think we'll be able to get the job done. I'm going to say 2-1. I'm going to say goals. Uh, one for Rothwell and one for, uh, for Brio Diaz.
2: Okay, thank you, Ollie. Um So, he's predicting a Blackburn win. Um, guys, let's do predictions. Um, how are we feeling for Saturday's game against Blackburn? Uh, Tom, let's go first. We'll go, go. one-all draw. Um, one-all draw, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think based on the,
4: the QBR result, the Bristol City result, I've not not seen a clean sheet at home yet. Uh, albeit, we got one yesterday and I thought some of the saves Joe Longley made were, were great. I think he broke the Bettinelli curse of that purple goalkeeper shirt. Purple <laughs> uh, <clears> design shirt. <clears <throat> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know, I can I can see them scoring. Uh, you know, Brereton Diaz has been on a great run of form since he's mm. uh, added that Diaz to his name. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> Sk- uh, the skill star went up one- by one. <laughs> so it could be him or you know Ayala only scored uh, what midweek last week and it's it's mm. kind of written that he he would against us um but i, I can see us scoring as well um so I, I can see both teams kind of cancelling each other out in another draw
2: well you know what i think more danny ayala just uh, <laughs> well you know what, i'm going to i'm going to say it but Dana, predictions.
3: I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm torn between one all and Blackburn doing a job on us. I mean, I have been quite down and pessimistic on this podcast, but I'm gonna go a little bit more optimistic and, and agree agree with Tom with a one all.
2: One all. One all. Oh God, um, it's gonna be a weird game, I think, because every time I've seen Blackburn versus Bora, they've both been horrendous games because mm. of just the styles clash. No one really wants to get on the offensive um, and they'll try and give up the ball because both our strengths, technically, are counterattacking attack attacking football. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we how we approach it. If I was Tony Mulberry, though, I'd probably be looking to uh, pretty much have look at the blueprint of QPR and see if we can take that in the game because they have the players to do it. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I think uh, I'm going to go draw as well. I think um, I'll go one. You know what? 3 1 all draws. So uh, we'll go with that. And if we lose, we lose. Um, but let's, that's it, guys. Thank you very much for joining me this week. And thank you to Ollie, Ryan, and Dom as well uh, for joining us as well. Um, but that's it. Borough have a stuttering week, but it's a long way to go. But with transfers coming in and one or two leaving, this leaves with a lot of points to prove on T side. This has been the Borough Breakdown Podcast. And that was Ollie Master Chatter in the pod. Want support.
0: Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for that's Craig it. Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy. played to him and now the spots out